Good morning, everyone. Josh Stutzman, your campus minister. I'm filling in for Thomas today preaching. And today we're going to be talking about Elijah. But first, I want to start with a little joke, of course, a little Thanksgiving joke. So there was a family and they received a Thanksgiving card. And the mother took it out of the mailbox and she saw on this card there was a beautiful scene, a picturesque scene in the snow of a pilgrim family all walking to church together. So the mother, she took a look at this card, and she saw this as an opportunity to instill faith in her children. So she took the card to them, and she said, Take a look, kids. Now you can see here the pilgrim children all loved walking to church with their family. And little Johnny grabbed the card. He's a little bit of a stinker. He looked at it critically, and he said, Oh, yeah, Mom? Well, tell me this. Why is the father carrying a gun? Now, I hope that that's just a little silly joke to start with, but uh, I hope you're all enjoying your worship here today at home. We can't walk to church here on this Thanksgiving, and we also hope that you're not holding any of your children there at gunpoint. Uh, I hope it's a good time, a good encouraging lesson, and let's pray as we start together. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day, and I pray uh, for a good time here, a good time of encouragement. We're so thankful to you for everything you've given us. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody out there struggling, anybody feeling tired, lonely, scared, or depressed, this sermon could be an encouragement and a reminder that you are still at work in the world. Please be with us, Lord. We love you. We love your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So today, we are going to be talking about Elijah. And I think the story of Elijah is relevant for 2020 because Elijah is a guy who faced disaster and crisis on a regular basis. If you remember in his story, uh, it starts out very bleak. Starts out with King Ahab, and he sent, there's a famine set on by his wicked actions, by Ahab's idolatry, and things keep getting worse and worse from there. You could say that this guy is always in dire straits, right? And I'm not talking about the 1980s rock band, although I love that band. Uh, I'm talking about real dire straits. This guy was always facing some kind of crisis. Uh, so this famine comes upon the land based on Ahab's actions, and then Elijah is sent into the wilderness. God says, go to the brook of Kareth, where you'll be fed by ravens, and you can drink from the brook. So he eats the bread from the ravens, and he eats the meat that they bring him. But then the brook dries up, and then another challenge, right? Another test of Elijah's faith. And then the Lord says, okay, get up and go to the widow of Zarephath. So he does, and he gets to the widow of Zarephath, and he says, Hey, please, I'm starving. Can I have some food? And she says, Hey, I've just got enough for myself and my son. We're going to make one last meal, and then we're going to die too. And Elijah says, Just go ahead and do it. Have faith. Uh, bake some bread for me. And she does, and then, as we know, the bread multiplies. And then the story that we focused on in communion comes, and you'll remember the widow of Zarephath, uh, she, her son dies. And this is another challenge to Elijah's faith, right? Another hardship, another crisis. And I want you to listen. I'm going to read Elijah's prayer here. Listen how honest that Elijah is with God. He's very respectful, but he's very honest about sharing his struggles with the Lord. So I'm going to read this. Oh, Lord, my God, 
Have you brought calamity even upon this widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? That's pretty direct. He said, Lord, did you really just kill this lady's son? And God doesn't reprimand him from, for this. Instead, he raises the widow's son from the dead. A miracle. So we can see here, definitely, God asks a lot of Elijah. He asks a huge amount. And there's a lot of tragedy and calamity in Elijah's life. But he also provides for Elijah in supernatural ways. So the only time that we see a confident Elijah is when he confronts the prophets of Baal. Uh, God comes to him and says, Elijah, go down and confront Ahab. Ahab's trying to kill him. And he, but Elijah is brave. He goes down and does it. And he says, hey, let's, uh, we're going to arrange this contest, sort of like a theological boxing match, if you will. Two altars, one to God, one to Baal. And whoever whoever's altar God lights on fire, that's the true God. So the prophets of Baal do this jumping around, dancing and everything, and cutting themselves. And, of course, their altar doesn't light because Baal is not a real god. On the other hand, Elijah just gives a simple prayer, and boom, fire from heaven, the altar lights. So this is really a high moment for Elijah. This is like kind of the sort of the best moment in his life. He is on top of the world, and then that's where our story picks up today. And we're going to start reading. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the, all the prophets of Baal with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more so also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. So we'll pause here. You know, Elijah, he probably should have had a little more faith here, but I can understand his fear, and I can understand why he ran. So this is a threat for his life, and I will say it's not even really a threat. It's more of a promise. Jezebel, she is a mean, nasty lady, and she has already killed many prophets of God and forced the others to worship Baal. There's only a few thousand prophets of God left, and they are all hiding in caves in the wilderness, kind of like Elijah. So he has some reason to be afraid. This is not an empty threat. And so he runs away as far as he can, gets as far away from Jezebel as he can. And then that brings us to our next passage. We'll go ahead and read here. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life away, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, the angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came to him a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. The journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went with the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So we can see here Elijah is definitely feeling tired, lonely, scared, and depressed. So much so that he's despairing for life. He really kind of just wants to give up. 
And so he lays down under the broom tree. And then you can see what's God's response here. Well, God feeds him, gives him a hot cake, and gives him some water. And he eats, and he's got the food that he needs. So, Elijah is feeling tired, lonely, scared, and depressed. Are you feeling tired, lonely, scared, and depressed? If so, the Bible is clear. Take a nap and eat some cake. All right, that's good, everybody. Hope you got something from the lesson today. Take a nap, eat some cake. Remember the cake? It's very important. See ya. No, that's not the end of the story, right? Uh, Elijah needs more than a nap and a cake to solve his problems. Having a nap and eating some cake will make you feel better, but that's not the ultimate solution to uh, uh, Elijah's deep problem, right? He needs to spend some time with God. He needs to know, number one, that he's not alone, and number two, that God is still at work in this world. He needs new purpose, new direction, a new reason to live. And God gives him exactly what he needs, the food to make a journey to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, and he gets a private audience with God. So let's go ahead and we'll continue reading. 1 Kings 19, verse 9. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, Elijah, you manipulative coward. Get back out there. No, that's, that's wrong. Let me read it again. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, Elijah, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Oh, nope, that's not what the word of the Lord said either. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, Elijah, you sissy, get some backbone. Oh, nope, that's not it either. Let's read it for real this time. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek to take my life away. So you can see here, take a look at Elijah's emphatic language, this I, even I only, am left, and they seek to take my life away. You can see this guy is at his wit's end. He's been through too much, and he's about to snap. And you know, sometimes we feel like that, don't we? But let's take a look. Uh, you know, look, put yourself in Elijah's shoes here. I mean, he's gone through so much. And he's feeling so terrible. And you think about, okay, we've been living now for about a year with a shortage of toilet paper and isolated from large groups of people. Elijah has been totally isolated and he's been living with about without food for three and a half years. You can understand why he's going nuts, and he shares that with God. But let's see how God gets him back on the right track. Let's keep reading. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountain to pieces and the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. 
And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. So you can definitely see this same emphatic language, right? Same thing he said before when God asked him this question. However, and it's almost like he's saying, yep, God, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. What are you going to do about it? But if you look at Elijah's words closely here, he's not really answering the question. Uh, really, God is saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? What do you need? Go ahead and tell me. And Elijah doesn't really do that directly. Instead, he kind of just complains. And like I said, I don't mean to beat up on Elijah here. He has been through a lot, and I totally understand where he's coming from. But he also doesn't answer God's question directly, does he? Uh, but, and so let's take a look at what God does, right? What, how does God solve this problem? Again, we're still going through this conversation. It's kind of like uh, Elijah and God are wrestling with each other. The, the reality is Elijah's still feeling tired, lonely, scared, and depressed, and he can't take it anymore. So he kind of indirectly shares these feelings with God. But let's take a look at how good God is. Let's keep reading here, the next section. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you will anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mahona, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees who have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So once again, we can see how good God is here. Elijah is feeling alone, and God gives him exactly what he needs. He says, go, I'm going to give you some people to help you. Go anoint Hazel, go anoint Jehu, and go anoint Elisha, and they're going to help you fulfill your mission in the world. Finally, take a look at verse 18. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. In other words, God is telling Elijah two things. Number one, you're not alone. There's people who are going to help you, and I'm going to help you. And number two, I am still at work, and it's time to go back and get back to work as well. And in his situation, appoint some new leaders. So what's the application for today? Well, during this season of isolation and disease, you may be feeling tired, lonely, scared, and depressed. I encourage you to talk to God about this. Okay? I know our congregation right now has been through some hard stuff. Most people in our congregation personally know someone or have a close relationship with someone who has been through something terrible, some kind of life-threatening disease. We have a number of them in the congregation, even right now. 
And that's very hard. It's really challenging and it's tragic. That's very hard. I also know a lot of people out there right now have lost jobs or had their wages reduced. That's very hard and that's a huge test of faith. Come to God during this time and come to your brothers and sisters during this time. Okay, don't do that. Don't try and face that alone. The worst thing we can do right now is run from God, right? Not communicate with him and just because uh, that'll lead to, well, maybe not, maybe God's not real. Maybe I've been wasting my time here. And that's the most dangerous thing. The second most dangerous thing we can do is just to fill it with something else, right? To keep pumping Netflix or Star Wars or whatever it is that you put in there to make you forget about your problems uh, instead of going to God. Using something else to solve your problems instead of God, you know what that's called? That's idolatry. That was the way that Ahab did it. So that's not good either. Uh, second thing I want to bring out, uh, but well, actually, before I get to that, let's finish up. So, uh, yeah, we definitely we want to come to God, be honest with him. Okay, share this struggle with God and God is going to listen and God is going to give us exactly what, what we need, just like he gave Elijah what he needed. Next point, God is still at work. We need to join him in what he's doing. Okay. Uh, I know this is a dark time, and it's a hard time, a hard time to do ministry. We can't do things the way that we used to. We couldn't do meet, greet, and eat this year. Uh, we can't have people into our homes for Thanksgiving. That's been an important thing that this church has done in the past. We can't do it. But what can we do, right? There's still a lot of things we can do. We can still do online Friends Speak Bible studies. We can still uh, meet in small groups, right? There are lots of things we can still do with God. Or how about this one? Reaching out to our own families, right? Investing in them. Think about this for a second. Is there someone in your family that's not a believer? This could be the time that God is giving you to reach out to that person. Now I'd like to get into our UCC report here a little bit. So uh, just tell you a few things going on at UCC. So, uh, yeah, like Elijah in this time, we at UCC have used this time to train new leaders. Here you can see there's a picture of our Star Wars party, and uh, we had two rising leaders this year, two freshmen who did a lot of great work for us, uh, Parker Hansen and Nathaniel Franklin, great guys. And they went through our, our student leader retreat. They learned how to lead Bible studies, uh, recruit people to events, plan events, resolve conflicts, a lot of different stuff. And they did a great job. This was our Star Wars party. And you can see here we're all socially distant. It's a smaller group, but it was a really great party. And we had two guys come who were not too connected to our group, really, and now they're very connected. So uh, really great success on Nathaniel's part. Good job, Nathaniel. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a, a great time. So God is still working just in kind of this smaller scale. And then next, I want to tell you about Lucia, because Lucia is a great example of, how, of God working behind the scenes. Uh, she came, we met her at International Orientation, and I kind of arranged for her to read Friends Speak with Maria, and she pretty much only showed up for Friends Speak. So we thought, well, we don't know. Maybe she's just not too interested, right? But we were wrong, actually, and this is her story. I want to read it to you. She wrote this almost word for word. 
I was born in a business family. My dad is Taiwanese and my mom is Vietnamese. I went to Taiwan when I was three years old and saw my parents for about one week every six months. They stayed in Vietnam while I was in Taiwan. I was in boarding school ever since seventh grade. I did not have many chances to see my parents. Then I came to America and met Josh and Maria at International Orientation. They invited me to study English by using the Bible. Maria is a very nice woman and a friend for me. We scheduled meetings every week for one hour. She helped me learn English and the Bible also. We also discussed personal things. I believed in God, but I didn't really have feelings for church because the church I attended in Taiwan wasn't like a family. It was like a system. Everything at this church was like Bible, 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 and the things they said were too deep. I felt it was boring because it didn't relate to my life. I was only four to 11 years old, remember? I think meeting Josh and Maria is God's beginning action on me because they spent time with me without wanting anything from me. If I was Maria, I could not act so selflessly towards others. She is too kind and willing to spend time with me. So meeting her is my first step towards liking church. My life in the U.S. is kind of boring because I don't go out much. I like to spend time on my own. Maria is the one person that I think is comfortable to spend time with. Then COVID-19 hit and I returned to Taiwan. During the pandemic, Taiwan was normal. The only difference for me was my family relationships got better. My whole family was back in Taiwan, so we spent eight months together. In this period, my family fought a lot because we had not lived together that long before, and we began to see each other's faults. But one day, my brother invited me to see a new church that he liked. The first day I went, there was someone on stage who said something like, children tend to blame their parents for not understanding them, but do you understand your parents? You are their child, but they are also someone's child. You blame them, but did you ever think that it is also their first time being parents? You tend to think your parents don't care about you, but did you ever call them and ask them if they ate dinner? I was shocked when I heard these things and it made sense to me. I wanted to change. My brother and I didn't ask my parents to go to church with us, but our new behavior made them ask, what changed you two so much? We were lazy about everything, but we both chose one day to go to church. I like this church because it fits my schedule and there's time for young people to talk about how they met God and how God saved them. It's close to my life compared with those adult things. My family believes this period is God's gift for us because my mom always prays to God that our family will be a real family. My family has always been a Christian family. I'm third generation. This is the period where I really felt love. So I want to try to be a better me. So I chose to be baptized and to really be God's daughter. At first, I didn't make the decision to be baptized on the same day with my brother and my father. I have a habit to pray to God every night before sleep since ninth grade. During praying, I suddenly got the feeling that God was encouraging me, encouraging me to be baptized with my family on that day. When I told my mom and church about this, my mom said she was praying to God, hoping I would be baptized with my family that day. I love that story. Lucia's story is a beautiful story. And I bring it out here because it shows you that God is still working even in this time of pandemic. He used this time 
to reunite Lucia with her physical family and also to reunite her to him and ultimately to become his daughter. A beautiful story. So in times of crisis like these, we can all feel tired, lonely, scared, and depressed. And that's natural. But it's in times like these that we need to remember that God has a plan. We need to cry out to God, and we need to remember that He is still at work in this world, even when we may not see it. Even Jesus on the cross cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But God was still at work, even in this crisis, and it was this very crisis that led to our salvation. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be on all of God's people. Amen.